Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dwayne. It's great to be with you again. You know, I always get energized when I come to Liberty. Uh, it, it's not just the buildings. It's to see so many young people gathered together, not just in worship, but I know you're studying through the week, right? You're studying through the week, and you're learning and preparing yourselves for a lifetime of ministry. So I, I, I just want you to know that I'm greatly encouraged when I come here. Now, the last time I was here, uh, I spoke to you on the cultural phenomena of falling in love. And if you were not here for that, and you have an interest in that topic, um, then maybe you can get in the archives and find that lecture, okay? I don't know if you archive these things or not. Or you could read my book, The Five Love Languages for Singles, where I deal with that topic. But today, uh, I'm going to talk about love but I'm going to talk about a very different kind of love than the falling in love experience and one that is absolutely far more important. My daughter and I were in Phoenix, Arizona. I had been speaking at a medical conference. My daughter is a medical doctor and she was attending the conference. And uh, after the conference, we got on a plane to fly back to North Carolina where, we li where I live. Yes. And uh, fortunately... Uh, we had been bumped up to first class, and that's always nice. Uh, the problem was my daughter was seated in 7A, a window seat, and I was seated in 4A, a window seat. And I said to her, well, it won't be a problem. Uh, somebody will change seats, and we'll be able to sit together because it's a four-hour trip, and we wanted to be together. So when the man sat down beside my daughter in an aisle seat, she said to him, excuse me, uh, would you mind trading seats with my father uh, so the two of us could sit together? And he said, is it an aisle seat? And she said, no, it's a window seat. He said, can't do that. Don't like to crawl over people. And my daughter said, oh, I can understand that. And so she sat down with a smile. Well, when the man came to sit down beside of me in the aisle seat, I said to him, excuse me, would you mind sitting in 7A where my daughter is sitting so that the two of us could sit together? He looked back at my daughter and he said, sure, no problem. And he picked up his newspaper and headed back to the seat. And I said, I really appreciate that. He said, fine, no problem. Well, you know, for several weeks after that, I kept reflecting on that experience and asking myself, what was the deal? I mean, here were two men... I judged them both to be in their late 50s. Uh, they appeared to be businessmen. They had on suits and ties. Why was it that one man so freely gave up his seat and the other man tenaciously held on to his aisle seat? Did they just simply go to different kindergartens? Or, or was it simply they had different parents? And one set of parents said, be kind and share. And the other set of parents said, you know, better make it for yourself, buddy. Nobody's going to make it for you. I, I mean, you know, did one of them have a daughter and the other one not have a daughter? Or did the man who was sitting beside me simply like window seats? Or, or was one of them a Christian and one of them was not a Christian? Or were they both Christians? And one was a lover and one was not a lover. 
Well, I don't know because I never talked to those two guys, but I do know that that sent me on a journey. And for two and a half years, I worked on this whole concept of why is it that some people are lovers and some people are not. And I wanted to believe it was simply that there were Christians and non-Christians, but I found Christians who would not give up an aisle seat. And, and so I don't think it's true that all Christians are lovers. Now, why would I be so interested in this topic? Because for years, I have grappled with the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter, five, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, when they said to him, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, which they did not ask for, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I cannot tell you how many times I've read those verses and, and grappled with those concepts. That everything in the law and everything the prophets said hang on those two commandments. Loving God with everything that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. But there's another passage that I've always grappled with and that's John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, where Jesus actually raised the bar when he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Not love your neighbor as you love yourself, but love one another as I have loved you. And then he said this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many times have I wondered, could it be that the reason we are not recognized as followers of Jesus is because they do not see our loving each other the way Jesus loved us? You do know that 80% of the population of this country claim as their religion Christianity. Now we know that many of them are simply cultural Christians. You do know that two billion people in the world claim the label of Christian. Imagine what would happen in this country and around the world if the people who call themselves Christians really were. If we really did love people as though, as the, in, in the way that Christ loved us. But how do you know if you really are a loving person? I mean, I think most of us would probably see ourselves as being loving people. In fact, if you had asked me when I started this journey, now three years ago, when I started this journey to really dig into this, if you had asked me, are you a loving person? 
I think I would have said, well, I think so. I mean, I'm trying to be. I mean, I want to be. And I think most of us, certainly those of us who are truly followers of Christ, certainly we would want to be loving people, and we probably think we are loving people. But the question is, how do you measure that? How do you know if you are a loving person? I mean, whose standard are you going by? One of the things I did in, this, in, in my journey was to ask literally hundreds of people two questions. Could you give me the name of someone in your family or your circle of friends that you consider to be a loving person? And when they would give me the name, I would say, why? What is there about that person that makes you conclude that they are a loving person? And their answers fell into seven categories. I was actually hoping for five because I like five. I wrote the five love languages for couples, the five love languages of children, the five love languages of teenagers, the five love languages for singles, and the love languages of God. I mean, I like five. But their answers fell into seven categories. And as I opened the Bible, you know where I found them. 1 Corinthians 13, Romans chapter 12. Everything they said was found in those two passages. Incidentally, anything you ever discover in psychological and sociological research, if it's really true, you'll always find it in the Bible. And so let me just share with you briefly because here's the measure. If you want to know if you're a loving person, here's the measure. Uh, just look, let's listen to these seven things. Let me just kind of give them to you just briefly. Uh, if you want to jot these down, I would encourage you to do this because this is the way you can tell if you're a loving person. And when I finally got around to writing the book, Love as a Way of Life, I, I, I developed these things. And how do you build these things into your life? How do you cooperate with God so that these things become reality? Number one is kindness. Kindness. Actions and words that are designed to benefit the other person. You know, when I was in Sunday school as a kid, I learned that little verse in Ephesians. I didn't learn the reference, Ephesians 4.32, but I learned the verse be ye kind one to another. It's one of the first verses that everybody learns if they go to Sunday school. Be ye kind one to another. But you know my observation about children is that children are kind to each other as long as the other children are kind to them. But if you start messing with their toys or messing with their artwork or you push them at the water fountain, they go back to being normal kids and they'll push you back, and they'll scream, and they'll holler, and they'll run to the teacher because you stole their toys. It, it, basically, children are kind to children that are kind to them. But my observation is that adults are not much different, even Christian adults. We're, we're kind to the people that are kind to us. In a marriage, if your husband's kind to you, then you're kind to him. As children and teenagers, you know, if, if you're kind to your parents, your parents are kind to you. But you scream at your parents, and your parents probably scream at you. So, you know, but Jesus is calling us, and the Bible calls us to kindness even to those that are not kind to us. I remember the husband who said to me, you know, Gary, he said, uh, I was watching a ball game, 
And you know, when men watch ball games, they cease to be Christian a lot of times. He said, I was watching the ball game, and my wife came in, and she wanted to discuss something with me. She was really serious about it, and she wanted to talk about something. And I said to her, hey, I'm watching the game. Can't we do this later? I mean, you know, I got to, I got And he said, really, I was very harsh to her. And he said, she walked out. And he said, I watched the game. And he said, 30 minutes later, she walked in, and she had some chips and a sandwich and a Coke, and she set the tray in my lap, and she kissed me on the cheek, and she said, I love you. And she walked out. And he said, I'm sitting there watching the game, and I'm thinking, man, this is not right. This is not right. This is not right. She should not have done that. She is not playing this game right. And he said, I just sat there and I felt so guilty for the way I had talked to her. And he said, in about three minutes, I got up and walked in the room and said, honey, I'm sorry. I am so sorry for the way I treated you while I got. And she said, no, 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 you were watching the game. It's, it's all right. No, 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 honey. He said, it was not all right. I did not treat you kindly. That was not a loving thing for me to do. And he said, I said to her, I don't want to see the rest of the game. I want to talk to you. You understand what that wife did? She simply loved her husband by being kind, even though he was not being kind to her. Kindness is one of the marks of a person who is loving. A second is patience. Patience. Not getting bent out of shape when things don't go your way. I was in the airport in Chicago it was about 10.30 at night. It was raining. I mean, it was raining and the wind was blowing. And so they delayed the flight. And then they came on a few minutes later and they announced another delay. And then about 11.30, it had stopped raining. And they came on and said, this flight has been canceled. And when they said the word canceled, the man who was sitting beside me jumped up and ran to the counter and said, what do you mean canceled? It's not even raining. I can't believe you'd cancel a flight. Not even raining. He said, you go, no, 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 no. I'll never fly this airline again. And then he calmed down and he said, uh, when does the next flight leave? And she said, uh, tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. Tomorrow morning? I can't stay here all night long. I've got to get home. And she said, well, sir, there are no planes that are leaving tonight. He said, you expect me to stay here all night in the airport? She said, no, sir, we, we will give you a hotel room. I don't want a hotel room. I want to get home. And the lady said, you know, sir, I can give you a hotel voucher or I can call the police. <laughs> and he said, I'll take the voucher. <laughs> and so she gave him the voucher and she told him, you know, which direction to go. And he walks off mumbling. But you know, I didn't sit there in condemnation because I remembered times in my life when I would have done the same thing. In fact, I remembered times I've done the same thing. But you know, that man slept in the same hotel that I slept in that night. His impatience did not bring him anything positive. His impatience took a few moments off of his life his impatience made things miserable for an agent. His impatience embarrassed everybody around him. And the rest of that night, none of us even asked, you know, why was the flight canceled? I mean, we, we just figured this lady had enough for one night, you know. Doesn't matter why it was canceled. Just give us our voucher and let us go to the hotel. 
You see, when we're impatient, it never helps anyone. But when we're patient, it helps everyone. It is a mark of a Christian that we will be patient. A third is forgiveness. Loving people will not hold on to anger. I don't care how how they have been wronged. They will not hold on to anger. They will get rid of anger. If the person who hurt them apologizes and confesses, they will forgive them just as God does. If the person does not apologize and does not confess, in fact denies that wrong, the loving person will release them to God. They won't hold the anger inside. Ephesians 4.26 says, Being angry, sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We've we got to get rid of anger before dark. Now, I guess if you get angry after dark, we'll give you till midnight. But the point is, we've got to get rid of anger. Anger was never designed to be a resident. Anger was designed to be a visitor. Everybody gets angry, but it's to be, it's to be momentary, and we're to process it either by forgiving the person if they confess or releasing the person if they deny and turning the whole thing over to God. We are not designed to be judges, and the anger will literally destroy you. It will not help anyone. So loving people, get rid of anger. Forgiveness. A fourth is courtesy. Courtesy. Now, you know, we speak of common courtesies. And I really, I suggest all parents should have a list of the common courtesies they want to teach their children. My wife and I did that. There are some things we wanted our children to do. There are some ways we wanted our children to talk and behave. Common courtesies. I was, uh, I got off the airplane in uh, Louisiana and a young man picked me up. He was about 23 years old. And I noticed when he was driving me to the hotel, everything I said, he would say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I thought, you know, this guy must have just gotten out of the military because that's the way they talk in the military. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I found out he had never been in the military. He just grew up in a southern home. And in a southern home, (laughs) common courtesy is that you say to older people, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, or no, sir, and no, ma'am. I was sitting in a restaurant with my mother, who's 97, and uh, we were eating, and, and she looked over and she said, uh, that, that, that boy's got his cap on. I thought, I thought men took their caps off when they came inside. And I said, well, Mama, Mama, it's a different day, Mama. His mama probably didn't tell him to take his cap off when he came inside, Mama. So, but, you know, in, in, in her generation and in my generation, that's just a common courtesy. Now, these things are not, you know, they change from wherever you grew up. But everybody has some common, common courtesies. Uh, I, I was with a youth group. We were going on a mission trip. And we were in, I think it was the Washington airport where you have to ride those shuttles from one to the other. And, and so the young people got on and they all sat down. And, and, and then some older people got on. And I noticed that a few teenagers got up and said to the older folks, you know, take my seat. But I noticed a whole bunch of other teenagers didn't get up. They just sat there. And these old people like me were standing there, you know. (laughs) And I I said, you know, well, you know, I guess they just never were taught that you give your seat to older people. Just common courtesies. 
And I suggest that husbands and wives have some common courtesies. For example, one of the common courtesies in our marriage is I don't talk from my wife. I don't, I don't, you say to me, what does your wife think? I say, you know, I can ask her if you like, or you can go ask her, but I can't tell you off the top of my head what she thinks. It's just a common courtesy. But this word is far deeper than common courtesies. This word comes from two Greek words. One means the mind, and the other means friend. It means to be friendly-minded, to treat people as though they were friends. Can you imagine what that would mean if we treated people as though they were friends? For example, you're in your car and you pull into a parking lot and you see an empty spot and you're headed for the spot and then you see a car approaching from the other side and what do you do? Two, got it! Touchdown! But what if you considered the person in the other car as a friend, what would you do? <laughs> okay, I'll let you answer that, okay? Common courtesy. Imagine what would happen if you treated people as though they were friends. You're walking down the street. You're walking in a grocery store, and you, you pass people in the grocery store. How, what do you do? You put your head down so you won't see them? Do you look, to, if it were a friend, what would you do? Look at them, say, at least smile, maybe speak. And if they speak back, maybe you could have a conversation. If they don't, at least you looked at them and smiled. I was talking to a single mom some time ago. Her husband had left her with three young children. She was working full time. She was just trying to make it. And I said to her, how, how, how did you, how do you make it? And she said, Gary, sometimes... It's just a smile in the grocery store that gives me the courage to keep on for that day. We have no idea the impact we could have on people if we simply treated them as though they were friends. Number five is humility. Humility. Stepping down so others can step up. I tell the story in my book of a young college grad. He'd been in hired by a major company for three years he'd been working there and his supervisor called him in and said I've got an opening that I think you might be interested in it's between you and Tim Tim's been with the company longer about 20 years but he said I think you might be more adapted to this and he said but I'm going to interview both of you and I'm going to ask you why do you think you should have this job and the young man said how old is Tim and the supervisor said oh I don't know 47, 48, 49, I don't know. And the young man said, I think you should give the job to Tim. He's been with the company longer. He may not have another chance. I'm young. I'll have plenty of chances. And the supervisor gave the job to Tim. Now, where do you ever hear of that happening? You see, every one of these things is countercultural. Our culture says, you may have to step on a few people, but get out there and get it. But that's not love. Love is stepping down so others can step up. That's precisely what Jesus did when he came down. And as a man, he humbled himself even further to death, even death on the cross, so we could step up and have eternal life. Number six is generosity. Generosity. 
Now, we normally think of generosity as giving away money, but it's much deeper than that. It is giving away time. It is giving away abilities. Every one of us has the same amount of time. We all have different abilities. I know a great deal about relationships because I've been working in that field for 35 plus years now. But I know almost nothing about physics. And I could name a thousand other things that I know almost nothing about. But some of you know those things. Generosity is that we recognize that everything we have is a gift of God. Our time, our abilities, and our money is a gift of God. And we want to invest them in other people's lives. I have an idea that there are many students here that are not too good in math. I have an idea that there's a larger number that are not very good in chemistry. And I could name a few more disciplines. But some of you guys are really good at math. And some of you guys are really good at chemistry. Now imagine if we paired up the person who knows chemistry with the person who doesn't know chemistry and the person who gets math with the person that doesn't get math and every student had a personal mentor outside of class where you're giving away your ability to the other student. Imagine what would happen in this university if we simply could practice generosity of giving away our abilities. And obviously that means giving away our time. And why not start here on the university? And if we start here on the university, then when you go outside to the inner city, and I noticed that on the screen earlier, there would, be, there would be thousands of you that would be going out instead of tens instead of tens because you would learn how to be generous here on the campus. Imagine what would happen if the person you are mentoring in math ends up making a better grade than you did in the course. Now, wouldn't that be great? Hmm, generosity. And then there's honesty. Number seven is honesty. Caring enough to tell the truth. Caring enough to tell the truth. You know, John, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the reasons that I think some people draw back from you is because they don't like the jokes you tell. Wow. Caring enough to tell the truth. You know, John, I'm going to give you some advice, buddy. Really do love you. If you take a shower every day, <laughs> yeah, caring enough to tell the truth. You know, uh, when you take those seven traits and you pursue them, you will become a loving person so that an encounter with you will be an encounter with love. Life's deepest meaning is found in relationships, first of all with God and then with each other. Now listen to me. Nothing enhances relationships more than you being a loving person. If you want to have the best relationships in every area of life, you become a loving person. After all, what is success in life? Well, you ask a dozen people, you get a dozen answers. For those of us who are believers, we believe that success in life is doing the will of God, each of us doing the will of God. If I could put it another way, not as theological, it is leaving our corner of the world better than we found it. Every single one of us has a corner of the world. 
It is our sphere of influence. And if we left the people whom we encounter better than we found them, we would end life being a success. Looking back over life, the people who are most satisfied are those people who gave their lives away to other people. You know, when sociologists have studied the history of the Christian church and how the Christian church went from a few hundred people to 30 million, half of the Roman Empire in 300 years, almost all of the sociologists agree who have tried to understand that that an awful lot of it had to do with the Christian's response when two great plagues hit the Roman Empire, killing one-third of the population, and the secular elite fled the cities just trying to stay alive. And the only social network left in the cities were the Christians who cared for each other and their neighbors as though they were family, and they shared life beyond the grave with those who were dying. And almost all historians say that that was one of the major reasons that people flocked into the Christian church. They saw Christians simply being who they were, loving people. Can you imagine what would happen in our culture if the church again became known as the people who love? If you stop 12 people on the street today and ask them, Tell me, what is a Christian? What do you think of Christians? You can imagine what they would say. But I wonder how many of them would say, Christians? Oh, man, they're the people that love you. If you've got a problem, man, you need to find yourself a Christian because those people, those people will love you, man. Those people will love you. I'm asking you, would, is that what we would hear? And yet Jesus said, this is the way that they will know that you belong to me. You know, we've got our mission straight. Our mission is to reach the world with the gospel of Christ and make disciples. But I fear that in our generation we have lost our method, and our method is love. There's nothing more powerful to reach a non-Christian world than to see Christians who not only love each other, but who reach out and love their neighbors as though they were family. I hope today that you will join me in a journey on becoming a loving person. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never shared this message before because this book is brand new, Love is a Way of Life. I've just written it. I want to challenge you to take it and over the next few months work these into the fabric of your life. And I want to challenge you to share it with your friends and with your, with your family and with your parents. And I believe that if the church can again become a loving community, the non-Christians will beat a path to our door and we can share with them where we got the attitude of love. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, how grateful we are that by your grace and your grace alone, we are your children. How thankful we are that you loved us when we were yet unlovely. Father, give us the attitude of Christ so that we love each other as Christ loved his followers and we reach out to our non-Christian friends with love so that they will see in us that we genuinely care for their well-being. And by your spirit, we, be your, we can be your instruments in bringing them to the foot of the cross where they too 
can receive your love. In the name of Christ, I pray.